Welcome to the Find Your Voice, Change Your Life podcast with psychologist Dr. Doreen Downing. Listen in as Doreen interviews people who felt they didn't have a voice or who suffered extreme speaking anxiety. You'll hear stories about how they struggled to speak up, what they did to find their authentic voice, and the confidence they now feel to speak up and make an impact. If you want to get started right away to find your voice, download Doreen's free 7-step guide to fearless speaking at Doreen7steps.com. And now, here is Doreen. Hi, this is Dr. Doreen Downing, and I'm here today with the Find Your Voice, Change Your Life podcast. And for my listeners, I first want to say how much I appreciate everyone going to give me five-star reviews and really great words of uh, congratulations. So we have way over... Uh, two dozen reviews, and we have lots of people subscribing. I've had almost a thousand downloads in just a couple of months. So that means you listeners are really starting to uh, love tuning in and getting to hear my guests. So my guests, <laughs> they always seem to have uh, some kind of history where there was a struggle with speaking up. Maybe it happened to be about public speaking anxiety, but not necessarily. You know, life is a context and you've got to show up. And if you don't have a voice, whatever that context is, you can't express yourself. You can't be heard and you can't be seen. And those are negative uh, for you in many, many sorts of ways, not just your career, but for your self-esteem. Today, I'm really excited to introduce you to my new friend, and her name is Rita Bokuzi, and she's a financial intelligence expert, and she's passionately committed to guiding successful entrepreneurs and business owners to achieve financial peace of mind. Ooh, that just makes me start to relax. Financial peace of mind, as well as transform money conversations and release money confusion regarding, well, money and wealth, right? Mm-hmm. Rita is a proven professional who shares a revolutionary, life-changing approach for rapid transformation to flourish financially. Oh, I like that phrase, flourish financially. <laughs> Mama Rita Money is CEO of Flourish Incorporated. She leads Wine, Women, and Wealth, and It's No Secret to Be Wealthy workshops, and her signature Mama Rita Money Empowerment Movement Boot Camps, where money over mindset mastery meets money skills mastery in holistic approach. Well, Rita, that was a lot of lot of words there, but I think hopefully people heard how impactful you are when it comes to transforming our relationship to money. And we'll hear more about that a little bit later, because obviously you somehow found your voice and now teaching people. But let's start. Let's just start as far back as you can go around your own sense and your own memory about your own development of yourself and your voice. Thank you so much, Dr. Doreen. I am so super excited to be here because it's true that um, I had to find my voice. I, I don't even know that I ever had one in the beginning, right? As a child growing up, we were seen and not heard because that's what my parents were taught. And so they carried that over and that's what we were taught. 
And I'm going to say as a little girl who is very inquisitive, that was extremely challenging for me because I would ask questions. I was very curious about a lot of things growing up and I always wanted to speak out and always wanted to ask questions and I would be met with, uh, it's not appropriate. It's not uh, polite for young ladies to ask questions specifically around money. Um, And I would be stopped. I mean, we were, we would sit at the dinner table every night and we were to be seen and not heard. So much going on in life and you have so many questions growing up and already, I think at that point, I I almost felt like a little bit of a rebellious nature in me uh, because I, I felt like I had so much to say or so much to learn about. And in school, which was my outlet, that is where I would start talking a lot. And so then guess what happens? Well, if you talk too much in class, you get in trouble. So then notices get sent home or you get sent to the office. So here I am as I'm growing from being at home as a little, little girl and then going to elementary and being told I'm to be seen and not heard. I'm, yep, seen and not heard. And then you go to school and you're told you're not supposed to talk. And it's like, where, where, where do you really, really, really go? Oh, what a great moment to open the show with is that dilemma of a young little female <laughs> who's obviously, because I, I know you, you have a bright spirit. You must have had it when you came out into this world <laughs> in the first place. And there you are trapped is what it feels like in a family that has certain kind of values. I mean, we aren't blaming them, but we're saying that was the effect on you was to Um, make you feel like you had to really what almost hide under the table not even or to sit up straight and be still (laughs) and so what did they did they talk about anything the parents your parents no no. I mean they would have discussions but their discussions would be amongst them right so I mean my dad would talk about work and you know what basically what was needed to be done so things to do but other than that it was there was no other real outside discussions and you're right. Feeling trapped is a great way. <laughs> it's so funny that you said hiding under the table, because I do remember as a little girl, sometimes hiding under the table, mm-hmm. literally, because I felt like I was invisible. I felt like I wasn't ever going to be seen or heard. So I just figured I might as well not be seen and heard. And so sometimes I would hide under the table. Uh, I don't know if that also came from being a middle child, right? You have the adult sibling and then you have the little, the younger sibling, and then you're in the middle. Um, but with our, our cultural background, I was there as the female to help and aid my mom see, observe, and learn by seeing and listening, not asking questions. Did you have brothers? I had two. I was the middle girl. Right. That's what it sounds like, that you're being (laughs) trained into being a woman who paid attention. (laughs) Yes. To what what men needed or what a household needed. Mm -hmm. 
that's what I was being trained. And it did feel like being trapped. And then, yes, then you go to school and there's this whole outlet of other people. And again, I, I needed to learn how to manage that, but wasn't doing it because I didn't know how and never had any other outlet. So um, I think <laughs> I think my inquisitive nature just didn't stop because there had to be a way. It just couldn't be that way. And so I would just continue getting in trouble <laughs> is really what would happen is, you know, every report card, my mom actually kind of almost now <laughs> proudly says, you know, every report card is nice little girl, but talks too much. Oh, my. Oh, my. But talks too much. And for your parents, it must have been kind of, what is this? She doesn't say anything at the dinner table, but they don't realize they're the ones who have made the rule. And yet here she is talkative. <laughs> I think for them is like, you just listen and you obey. And if you sit quiet, you're supposed to, you're told to sit quiet. That's what you do. Mm-hmm. So learning was through observing and listening only. But I always felt like I had this emotional outlet that I needed. I mean, I, my parents, I think it was challenging for them because culturally it was, they were in a new country. They were first they were here and I was a first generation born. So new world, new rules, new exposures. So I think that they were learning at the same time. The things that I did learn from them, you know, definitely was in their modeling of working hard, doing our best, respecting our elders, being disciplined, um, and continuing, just continuing that process. When it came to money, it was sitting down with your money weekly and making sure accounts were in order. And my father and mother always did that together because my father always believed my mom, just in case something ever happened to him, she should know uh, what was going on. But we weren't supposed to know because that was the adult business of money. And so when I would ask those kinds of questions, yeah, I would be told it's not, not none of your business. And it's, it's not appropriate for you to be asking these questions, but I never understood like why I was just curious. I was trying to understand how the world worked because there's this elusive thing called money. And, uh, and so I think that also piqued my curiosity more to learn more about it. Yes. I like that uh, insight about something that was, well, it wasn't necessarily forbidden, but almost. And (laughs) yeah, there was like a barrier and they put up the roadblock and you, you're just, what is it? What is it? What is it? So great. That will, that will inform us as we move on and talk more a little bit later around what you do do around money. But so you're in that family, you're in schools and you're growing up and you keep your curiosity, thank goodness. Mm-hmm. But what happens next? As I grew, honestly, I I really was trying to figure a way out financially because I wanted to escape to be on my own. I wanted to be completely independent and not reliant on rules uh, that somebody else was making for me, especially as a, you know evolving into a young adult. And I actually went, like when I went to high school, I did, well, I had to, I struggled honestly in school. I got C's and B's and uh, worked hard for them. But I knew that if I did well enough in my classes that my senior year, I would have to take only one course for my whole senior year. And then the rest of the day would be free. 
Well, I know a lot of kids would do that and they'd go run off and go do other fun things. But my goal was to be financially independent and have a year's worth of money to pay rent and to be on my own so that if something happened, I wouldn't have to go back and beg for help. So I went to work and got a job without my parents knowing. How old were you? I was, I think, like 16 and a half, 17 years old. Uh-huh. And, and so what was the job? <laughs> um, it's so cool because when I think about it now, it was an American Sun Solar Company when solar wasn't a thing like it is today. So that was, whew, you know, 30 plus years ago. And, uh, and I was in sales. And I did really well because it was a cool, innovative new way for people to get energy. And back then it was really, really expensive to do. And there were no city, you know, alliances and things like that. Mm-hmm. Do that? Yes. Well, the whole idea of uh, solar of all things to be in, in, in terms of a metaphor too, you know, the sun. And- mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean. It was definitely a way out until I got caught and got in trouble. And basically, I just told them, fine, you know, again, being the rebel, fine, if you don't let me have this job, then I'm just going to drop out of school and find another one. I just won't even do it. Like, I won't even continue going to school. I'll just go to work. And so actually, at that point, my dad ended up finding me a job with someone he knew. So he knew uh, Mm -hmm. more about what I was doing because the sun solar was different. I did put money aside. I did save my money. I had been saving my money. I had, I saved enough money that my dad was like proud of me actually. And he's like, well, you need to start setting up your retirement plan at 18. (laughs) And so I did, I went and saved, uh, put my money, set up my first retirement account back then. And then by the time I was, and I was going to college and working always college and working because I really wanted to be, I wasn't independent yet. Uh, So I bought my first condo, my first property when I was uh, 21 years old on my own. And I'm going to tease because time and history back then I was super excited to have an interest rate of 16.86. Isn't that something? Oh, my. Right? Oh, my. And what are they today? Yes, yes. You know, uh, and that was the right time and the right thing to do at that time, which was really, really great and wonderful to do. And then I ended up um, meeting my spouse, and uh, which was interesting because I had not wanted to get married (laughs) I uh, I wanted to wait till I was in my mid-20s and had my career going, I'm going to say. And sometimes we can say life is going to turn out one way and it turns out in a different way, in a good way. Yeah. Well, you certainly have a, a feisty spirit and you obviously stepped into a relationship. Uh, and what was that? Uh, well, it was interesting. It was a relationship my, my dad was... I went to Italy um, actually to kind of see what my family was like at the time, because I wanted to understand why culturally my parents were imposing the things that they did and um, got to have the experience. But even before I left, my my um, father says to me, don't meet, in a, don't meet anybody and get married, because I was like 21, 22. And back then, you're 
there, some of us were still getting married in those ages. And I was like, oh my gosh, never, ever, ever am I going to do that. Don't even worry about it. It's just not, it's just not happening. So did you mean it in Italian? And so I did meet it. <laughs> it was from my parents' hometown and um, an awesome, wonderful man who, who listened to me. Uh, and we've been married now 31 years. Mm-hmm. That was just an interesting experience to see the different experiences in the world of how people socialize. So what was really different there than here, I'm going to say people are heard. I think culturally it's really beautiful because you know, they go to school together in the mid afternoon, families get to have their dinner together. So there's family talk around the table and everybody talks and everybody is heard and being listened to. And then in the evening, everybody goes out after their work. So they have their midday, so to say, siesta, and then they go back to work and they're talking to their coworkers. But then in the evening, they would go out in what's called in villa, right? In the villa or in the piazza. And women would hang out typically with the women and talk, uh, the girls, right? And the guys would hang out with the guys. So they got time. And this is everybody, the parents, the kids, everybody got to hang around with their peers and exchange different conversation. So I feel like they got the, the best of both worlds in that aspect, which is really different than being here in the U.S., Yes, one of the things that you're saying I I think is important for the listeners is that having places where you I practice is I'm putting quotes around it, but it's it's learning earlier on how to use your voice and uh, the more environments you can find, and it sounds like you know school for some people can be that. Um, but for you, it wasn't. And then you go clear across the universe to, well, it seems like the universe, Italy, <laughs> and you find you find a whole new way of relating that then gives you permission uh, to speak. And not only that, you find a, a man who listens to you in such a way that you guys uh, fall in love. <laughs> right. <laughs> and then, you know, just I'm going to say fast forwarding. I mean, we got married and, you know, there were a lot of learning lessons on the way, Um, you know, you have life events and learning how to cope with them. One of which was a tragic loss of my older brother, which actually shifted my position as a middle child to being oldest child, which was interesting because he and I had a lot of great communication. So when he was gone, that was my one communicator really that I we could identify with each other and so that was challenging and I think being married really helped that for me and I just learned how to cope and basically you know we just went on with you know we I was finishing my education we were starting a family a new life learning how to to work a maneuver around the world without ever really understanding. It was just kind of like stepping in the doing all the time because we weren't taught about all of this. And I'm going to say all along, you know, I think we say it a lot. People say, gosh, somebody should have taught us about this. Would have been, been nice. Or if I knew this 20 years earlier, I could have avoided some pitfalls that I went through right now. And I'm going to say that's a common thing that I felt along the way, not just for myself, but from other people. 
that I, I believe led me to doing what I do now. I actually worked in the medical industry. So I loved being with patients and having that communication, right? So when I moved into corporate and got promoted into an office, uh, I again felt like I lost my voice again. I think that's why I struggled. I'll say a little bit more about the corporate environment and losing your voice. Ooh, the corporate environment and losing my voice. I think that one was probably the most challenging as compared to to uh, when I was a child because I felt like I was being treated the same way, right? You're seen. You're only heard when you're spoken to, uh, really, because in some corporate environments, you become like a number. And when you feel become like in just a number of, hey, only share the information that you need to when you want to. I mean, I remember even when one day uh, I was an executive administrative assistant to a vice president in a company. I remember saying to her, you know, how are you? And she's just like, fine. Every day it was just fine. And one day I was not having a good day. I was having a major struggle. and. I just said, you know what? I'm not doing really great right now. And I'm just, I'm having a hard time, but I'm doing my very best. She goes, you know what? I don't really care. (gasps) It's just, I'm asking how you are just like a cordial. Hello. I really don't care how you exactly are. Oh, just take a moment. Let me take a breath on that one. Yeah. Oh my. Oh my. Yes. I don't care. And she meant it. Yeah. She meant it that way. Uh We're here to do work. We're not here to care about other people's feelings. Yeah. That just blew my mind. Probably unbeknownst to me was making me have triggers from when I was a little girl that I had no voice. Even being in corporate, I remember being, you know, going to corporate meetings and making suggestions. And I was actually the scribe, if you will, or historian. Um, And I would come with ideas to help things. And they would be like, that's okay. You know, we don't need that information right now. And then going back to subsequent meetings where another supervisor that would was in the meeting would come with a brand spanking new idea uh-huh. and get a promotion. And I, I remember going, wait a minute, I have it documented in our notes that I was the one that discussed that. I'm the one who shared that. Why is this even happening? And then I would get written up in subordination for even bringing it to the forefront. Oh, my goodness. What a challenge. And it sure sounds like in finding your voice, you first had to recognize how much you didn't have a voice. And these sound like all kind of episodes that built up. And what would you say was the final aha, let me out of here? (laughs) Mm, It took a lot. I'm going to say, so the final aha is the the toll it took on my health. And what that ended up looking like was tonsillar lymphoma, which is a lymphatic cancer of my tonsils. And ending up having to go through chemo and radiation, like right in, yes. my, in my throat, right? Yeah, yeah you're what they call the throat chakra, right? That's, right. that's where, where, yeah, voice comes through there and it was not coming through. Oh, wow. <laughs> yes. And, and it took, it really literally took that because mm. 
kept on going with the mindset of, I can still do this. I can still make this happen. I've got a family to take care of. Um, And I would put myself in second place always because, oh my gosh, I felt like a second class citizen. I was. And it took away all my confidence. And so actually during my time at corporate, I was like, okay, I I can't control this. And I do have to have this job to help take care of my family. But along the way, I thought I got to learn something else because this is not my future. It was a driver for me to learn around the one thing that people weren't talking about that kept on being complained about day in and day out. How come we don't have a money education? How come we don't know more about money? Like, where can we learn? How come schools aren't doing this? I would like, I felt like I would hear that over and over again. And I also felt that with my own kids, because I could see that I could teach them, you know, how to do their laundry, clean up after themselves, cook. So even at middle school and high school, my kids pretty much were self-sufficient. But when I got cancer, I realized I was stuck. I couldn't go to work anymore. My husband had to help me and he was in sales, which means he wasn't working. So our income took huge hits. And I went from getting financial cancer, I mean, from getting cancer to getting financial cancer. But it actually was more in my mind first because I felt like a financial burden, even though I wasn't. Yes, things changed financially, but my belief is that really, Um, we get to take a step back and just whatever happens to us, we're never a burden. We're actually a present or a gift that gives people the opportunity to give. Oh, that's a beautiful mindset, really. 10 months to get to that mindset. Yeah, but you, you found yourself there finally. And that to me is what you uh, know so deeply because of your life experience. And now that just anybody who works with you feels like they can trust that you've got deep awareness, deep experience, and you know, financial cancer is the word you, the phrase you used, right? Say something more about that financial cancer. So what I realized, you know, as I had been studying, but not, not necessarily self-teaching, right? trying to figure out who can teach me around money without me having to spend tens of thousands of dollars or go back to a four-year college to graduate with the degree like most people were graduating and um, and coming out financially broke and trying to figure it out. So I thought, really, I, I, I got to find a way where I can learn how to do this faster and really support my family. So it was actually a driver for me. You know, um, because we ended up having to deplete all our resources. And I and at that time I found out about um oh 60 over 60% of Americans that file bankruptcy every year file due solely to medical related issues, even though they have insurances. So on my healthcare background, what I did know was that we were 10 times more likely to have some sort of life event. And most of us aren't aware about it because they don't teach it. 
But that's what I knew because I worked in healthcare risk management. It's these type of life events that take people from, from their livelihood, but not just physically. It's a mental state. And if we're not mentally strong around what we can do and what's possible, or I'm going to say have that tenacious nature that I have, if you don't have that naturally, the challenges are just so profound and huge. They're deep and they're big. And so I found out that I was not the only one feeling that way because You know, it's one thing to grieve the loss of an illness when you have an illness. And when you hear cancer, a lot of people hear death. So they're grieving a loss of themselves. And then you start to deplete your savings, right? Because you have to have a copay for a treatment that's not covered. Or you have to pay your mortgage, but the healthcare insurance you have pays the doctors and the hospitals and the pharmacies, but there's no money for your mortgage or your car insurance or any essentials for your utilities and your food. And that can lead people to feeling desperation. And where do they turn? Where do they have a voice? Where can they call out? Most of us don't even feel like we can, that there even is a choice. And so just before I got sick, I started learning about benefits that were around that wealthy people used to protect themselves as income producing assets or to protect their assets or their retirements or their plans that they put in place for just such an event. Now, when I learned about that, that wealthy people were doing it, being the inquisitive person that I was, I actually went to their financial professionals and said, so these people have families, right? And of course, they said, well, yeah. I said, and if they keep asking for handouts, even the wealthy people will go broke, giving all their money away, right? And I remember this person very specifically saying yes. And he was a tax tax attorney. I said, so then what do you do for their family members? How do you structure them and set them up when they aren't the millionaires and multimillionaires? He goes, oh, the same plans are available to them. It's just that most financial professionals don't share that because they usually leave that to share with their wealthy clients because we really don't make that much money from it. Uh I thought that's, that's astounding. (laughs) That's a piece of information that it's like a secret. (laughs) That's, That's why I actually say it's no secret to be wealthy. We just get to ask questions till we figure out that right path. And that's our voice. That was my one voice. I could ask questions. And as an adult, I knew that I could, and I was going to keep, and people want to help. People really do. So this uh, tax attorney let me intern with him. I'm going to say for free, I would have probably paid to do it, but I met him through a course that I paid for. And he said, okay, I will, I will allow you to do this so that I could see what he was talking about and teaching so that I could turn around one day and teach it and have people be empowered around their money education. And I call that leveling up our financial intelligence. When I say I'm a financial intelligence expert, we all can be. You you know, I mean, when you say experts, experts are always learning. It doesn't mean that they're done. 
it means that they keep on continuing and they share it. And we get to be that in our own right. Just like, you know, you're never an expert as a parent and you could raise, you know, 12 children and have another one and it'd be a whole new learning experience. So the same thing with money situations and money stories, but what we do get to do is we can learn about it just like when we learn about a job. And when we learn about it, you just start out simple. Like when a mother reads to a baby in the womb, you start reading about it or hearing about it. Well, when you start hearing about it, I think you and I had a prior discussion. It's that vibrational familiarity of the sounds of the words so that they're familiar, the auditory, right? And then maybe even the visual. And when those that triad comes together, you start to level up your confidence. And that's financial intelligence is a state of being like leveling up your financial uh, confidence, right? I I wish big people could see you right now. The ones who are (laughs) listening on devices, uh, you are just fully blossoming with joy and excitement. And there's just an effervescence about you when you talk about helping people. We're moving towards the end. So I want to make sure that you get to say anything more about your commitment and your work. Uh, So my commitment and my work, I am on a money empowerment mission. And I mean that wholeheartedly to help within the next five years, a million families to be educated around money. Because when we get educated and we share amazing things, that is that village coming together. And this, like the cliches that we hear, clue into the cliches from wealthy people because they have truth in them. It takes a village, right? Uh, Rising tides raises all ships. All these things are true, but it can't start without you. It starts with awareness. It's, it gets to be simple. Awareness, your attitude that you show up with it, and then the actions you take. It's always about word formulas, not money formulas. Money formulas too, but it really is the mindset of word formulas. And, you know, I'm committed to showing up and I have, have done so and will continue to do so in ways where I call them fee to free because it depends on where you're at. You might not have the money right now, but you might have the time. And it's not just me. It's about connecting with resources. So in that commitment to keep on elevating yourself step by step by expanding so that this way we can enjoy our money and flourish financially. Oh, yes. I heard three A's. (laughs) Yes. What were those three A's? Awareness. Awareness, right? Because if we don't know, like... We get to start to know and our attitude at the beginning, I'm not going to say like when I first learned, my attitude is like, I don't know if I'm smart enough. I was a B and C student, but I got to shift that to say, you know what? If it's possible for any man to learn it, it's possible for me too. I might have to put a little extra effort, but I can get it done because it's a rinse, repeat system. Mm -hmm attitude, it's the action. So rinse, repeat system, right? I just kept on reading books or I kept on listening to audios and it gets to be easier and simpler so that we can succeed. 
Awareness, attitude, action. Well, that's a, as well as flourish financially. You, you like the way words work, don't you? <laughs> I love word formulas. I love, you know, things like embracing, expanding, elevating, and using those as pillars. So I'm going to say having fun is key. Having the, like you said, the effervescence and excitement around it find a way for it to be fun. Gamify it. Have a date with your money and maybe have some chocolate and some wine when you're doing your numbers. Something to make it easier, not overwhelming, so that we can do the simple, silly things to enjoy it. And it gets to just really be enjoyable. Just fun, fun, flow, and ease. There you go again. (laughs) Fun and flow. Well, I'm certain people have really enjoyed sticking all the way to the end because you're such a compelling speaker and you do certainly have a voice that is wide ranging. It touches so many people, not just the words, it's your energy and your spirit. And that's to me what voice is. Voice is deeper. It is not, I don't train people how to speak and how to give a speech. You know, I help people get to be exactly like you are coming from a deep sense of power and purpose and passion. Hey, I just did my three Ps, huh? (laughs) (laughs) I have one more to share with you as you just said it. Maybe this ending. Consistent purpose realized. CPR. If you're consistent in your purpose, you do realize your dreams. So just it's, and I use that word multiple ways. So it's consistency, persistency, and resiliency to keeping to that consistent purpose realized. (laughs) Yes. Well, I'm sure you and I, it's like at a ping pong table. We could go back and forth, couldn't we? Oh, but we have to stop today. And Uh, again, uh, it's such a pleasure and I've so enjoyed being with you and I know whoever is still here with us, I hope they all are, is just clapping, applauding like crazy because they're going to go out and take some of what you've offered today, I'm sure, uh, especially the chocolate. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. Thank Thank you you so much for this opportunity to share. It just means so much to me and Thank you to all the speakers out there. And I pray that they just take one, two, or three nuggets or ahas and just start there. Thank you so much, Dr. Doreen. Thank you. Thank you for being with us today for this episode of Find Your Voice, Change Your Life. Each person Doreen interviews shares what has helped them find their voice. You can learn from these guests and find your voice so you can be confident to speak up and speak out. And remember to download Doreen's free seven-step guide to fearless speaking at Doreen7steps.com. We hope you enjoyed the show and we'll return next time. Until then, goodbye for now.